again, today is a beautiful day that we have, and um, I don't know if you, uh, well, at least for me, as I was reading from John, the sixth chapter, um, starting at uh, verse number 48, <clears throat> um, you know, what, uh, what certainly rang out to me was the fact that uh, life um, or the life that, uh, that we hope to have after we pass uh, from this life certainly um, is achievable. All we have to do is eternalize uh, the death, row and resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and all the things that go along with it and partake of his body and his shed blood. Time of lesson is, is ownership. Um, we have a problem with ownership, and I would say more so in the, the U.S. of A, um, more than other countries. Uh, ownership is where it's at. We want to own a piece of the American dream. Um, we want to own a home. We want to own a car. We want to own a boat. Um, we want to own, own stock. We want to own things. Um, Never mind that uh, uh, none of those things, I mean, if you, if you have, if you quote-unquote own a home, as long as you have a mortgage, you really don't own that home. Um, you own a car as long as you've got a car payment. If you don't have the pink slip in your hand, you really don't own that vehicle. Um, granted, uh, the bank, uh, the person who lent, lent you the money gives you the ability to do what you want with that home. Um, as long as you continue to, to pay on owning stock, you really don't own that stock. Um, it's not like you're owning a small percentage of the company. You can't walk into Apple right now if you own 20, 20 shares of their stock and take out and say, okay, that chair and that desk are mine. That's part of the 20 shares. That's not how it works. Ownership is, is really a figment of our, of our imagination or a construct of a civilized society. Um, back in the, you know, back in the, the day, and, and if I were, and I'm, I'm only using this as an analogy, but um, prior to civilization, if, if we were to go back and look at pre-civilized pre man, you know, as, as we're walking about the, uh, the Sahara, you know, with sticks and stones, you know, grunting, right? Um, what you owned was only what you had the ability to control with your two hands. So if you have the ability to defend it, um, that's what you owned. But that's not necessarily the case right now. Um, I don't necessarily own my house. Well, I think I do because... I have the key to it, I lock it, um, I can control it, I can defend others against that, except what happens if the government says that we're going to take that back. Or if the uh, bank says, you know what, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to renege on our mortgage agreement, we're going to take the, the rights to that home back. What about the ground that's underneath your house? Do you own the soil? That the, that the house sits on? Probably not. Um, that ground is owned by the developer to this day. 
Um, we don't, I don't have soil rights. I can't dig a hole as deep as I want to to China in my backyard because I don't own that soil. I own the physical property that stands on it, but I don't own the land. Ownership is really big. Um, so much so that when we obtain ownership, it's very hard for us to give ownership up. We don't do that willingly. If I own something, I'll only give it up as long as I get something of equal value in return, whether that's money, whether that's a, you know, a simple barter system, or maybe goodwill. Um, that's the reason why there's a store called Goodwill, right? People give their things to Goodwill in order to get what? Goodwill. Uh, a feeling of giving back, a feeling of um, I'm helping out those who are less fortunate than I am. But how many of us would go to Goodwill and give up uh, a brand new pair of shoes that you can fit? Right, that you just spent a lot of money on. Uh, how many of us would give up the, the, our, the clothes that are most valuable to us, or our jewelry, or our physical items that are most valuable to us, just to get goodwill? I went to a uh, um, fundraiser for uh, the band, and they were, they were auctioning off a, a pallet of cookies. Uh, not a pallet, um, a um, platter, thank you, uh, of cookies. You know how much that platter of cookies went for? It went for an excess of $400. They were selling cakes for $800. I bought a cheesecake from, uh, uh, from the, the local cheese company here. It cost me 40 bucks. That thing sold for two, $300. Why do people do that? Why do people give up ownership of their money? Well, number one, they felt that the ownership of that, or what they got in return for giving up that money, it wasn't just the, 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 the cheesecake, but it was the goodwill that they got in return, the, the good feeling of giving that money to a noble cause. The question is, is I've got three kids in the bank. How come I didn't pay $200? Is, are the experiences that my kids get out of band valuable or worth $200? Well, I don't know. That's up in the air, right? I don't know if I value that type of goodwill enough to spend $200 on a cheesecake. Even if I had the money. I find it difficult. Others don't. But they have the choice to do with that money as they choose because they own it. That's the reason why um, you know, communism, uh, socialism as, a, uh, as an economic system, communism as a political, socialism as an economic, uh, they don't work. It's because you can't tell me that I don't own this. I've worked hard for this. I defend this. This is mine. It's under my realm of control. How can you say that the government, by virtue of the fact that I live or I'm a citizen of this country, that I don't own what I've built with my own hands? In the first, uh, in the first century of the, 
of the Church of Christ. If you have your Bibles, we're going to take a look at a verse here um, as it pertains to ownership. And we'll, look, we'll start off by looking at Acts, the second chapter. And um, Acts, we know that uh, in the second chapter, uh, Peter stands up and he gives the, uh, the sermon on the day of Pentecost. The entire diaspora of the Jewish peoples are in Jerusalem as is required uh, during the, the feast of the, uh, or on the day of Pentecost during uh, the feast of the Passover. Um, they're required to be there. And uh, Peter stands up and he gives a sermon. And as he's given this sermon, as the Holy Ghost um, gives utterance, the other members, the other men uh, of, the, of, the, of the Church of Christ were able to not only re, um, were able to translate uh, Peter's sermon into all the various language, languages of, of the Jewish diaspora that was there in Jerusalem. Um, after hearing his sermon in Acts chapter 2 verse 37, um, it says that the men were pricked in their heart, um, or the crowd, it says when they heard this, were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? It says in verse number 38, um, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of of the Holy Ghost. And it says that in verse number 42, that, or excuse me, verse number 41, rather, that uh, there, there were those who gladly received his words, um, and 3,000 souls were added to the body of Christ, the, the first, um, you know, mass baptism, if you will, of 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. But one of the things I want to highlight as it, as it pertains to ownership is in verse number 45. Um, and actually we start at verse number 44. After, as they were um, remaining steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, it says, And all that believed were together and had all things common. Meaning... There was no mine, mine, mine. This is mine, that is yours. It was more of this is ours. And in verse number 45, it says, And sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, to the to the church daily, such as should be saved. So there wasn't any, there wasn't the the construct of ownership, even back then, was overcome by the family atmosphere or the communal atmosphere in the first century uh, of the Church of Christ. In the first century. Everybody had everything. If you had need and I got it, it's yours. Um, not, it's kind of like the old adage, you can go to your neighbor's house and, and ask for some sugar. And, you know, they gladly would give you that sugar. Why would they gladly give you sugar? Because they have enough to spare. 
You know, one of the things that is so peculiar about uh, the times that we're living in today, especially with this, you know, this, this viral infection scare, is that if it does take a left-hand turn and become a situation where um, we're quarantined, sources, resources are at a minimum, ownership, as we know it, is going to be very strong, meaning this is my water, this is my food, this is my house, don't come on my house, right? Because you're endangering my stuff, the things that I own. And that is all centered around kind of what I've talked about now two Sundays about this whole idea of being able to continue the species in self-preservation. My neighbor will gladly give me sugar because it doesn't impact his wife and his family. And it's not like, it's not like giving me a, a cup of sugar is going to, in some way, shape, or form, um, diminish his ability to continue to live. But if I knocked on his door and I said, hey, uh, give me your kidney, because I need it, what is he going to say? Uh, no. Well, I would say, well, listen, you've got two of them. You can live with one of them. Just, just give me one. You'll have one left over. That's an obscure kind of worst case scenario. That's, 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 <laughs> I say that uh, humorously, but it reinforces the point of ownership. This is my body. This is these, these two kidneys that exist inside my body are mine. I'm not going to give them to you because in the process of doing so, I may be killed. Or in the process of doing so, I, it may diminish my ability to continue to work and thereby uh, provide for my wife and kids, by extension, continuing to uh, propagate my genetic line. But I get back to ownership here. And I also get back to the example of, what is it, uh, the two people that didn't give of their possessions. Ananias and Sapphira, right? We know them very well in Acts chapter 5, um, very well. And before we get into that, um, what does God love? In uh, 2 Corinthians my apologies. In 2 Corinthians, um, the, is it the, uh, the ninth chapter? Ninth chapter, starting at uh, verse number 6. It says, Peter says there, But this I say, he would sow it sparingly, shall reap also sparingly. But, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And this is an important uh, couple of verses here as it pertains to ownership. It says, Every man, according as, as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or necessity, for God loveth a true forgiver. You know, this is, this is extremely important. Um, this is an extremely important verse to, to be aware of in the context of ownership. Um, God gives us or blesses us with all 
with all things. Um, he tells us that uh, his blessings are abundant, and he gives those and he gives those um, without uh, without restriction. You know, when we give um, every first of the week, as we just did today, um, uh, it was the prayer that was given to God was, um, you know. Thank you, God, for giving us the ability to give back what you've given to us. Uh, very, uh, very plainly, it says in 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, and verse 2, that we are to give as God has prospered us. You go back to the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, Solomon even writes that, you know, the work that God has given us to do, the, the things that we get out of work, is from God. God has allowed us to be able to do those things or to achieve those things, and we need to be glad uh, when, he, when he gives us the ability to do that. But what we see here in 2 Corinthians 9, chapter and verse 6, is to give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. That speaks counter to how we view ownership. If we are to be God, uh, excuse me, good stewards of God's blessings, and, and I'll, I'll give you the book, chapter, and verse for that here in a few moments. But if we're to be good stewards, to be a steward means that I'm just a custodian of God's blessings or the possessions that God has, has given over to me or prospered me with. You know, the money in my bank account. Um, my car, my house, all those physical possessions, God has given those to me to be a steward of them. And to be a good steward of them means that I need to be able to come to the realization, first and foremost, that I do not own them. They're not mine, technically. And I, and I say technically in a spiritual context, not in a physical context, but in a spiritual context. Amen. Technically, they are not mine. Now I'm going to get a little scientific for you here. Every single molecule that makes up every single thing on this planet was here when God created the earth. Think about that for a second. When God created the earth, every single molecule that is in existence today is as old as the earth itself. The money, the dollar bills, that plastic that's in your in your pocket is front. It was made from a molecule that God created at the beginning of time. We don't own anything by virtue of the fact that we can't create anything. There was only one person who can do that. There's only one person that did that, who took and made something out of nothing. And that's God. So in a very real sense, everything that you have is owned or created by God. Everything. And if you and, and that's not just a spiritual argument, that's a physical argument. You can go, that's proven in science. Every molecule, as a matter of fact, every single oxygen molecule that you are breathing into your lungs was the same oxygen molecule that was breathed into the lungs of Adam and Eve 
way back at the beginning of time. It's just recycled. It it's recycled molecules, right? It's owned by everybody by virtue of the fact that it's it's been recycled, but it is, excuse me, it is loaned to everybody, the fact that it's been recycled, but it's owned by God because he's the one that created it. So when he says, or when the scripture says in 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter and verse number 6, um, and following, and certainly when he gets to verse number 7, every man as he had purposeth in his heart, so let him give. And one of the interesting things is, if you have a, if you have a King James Bible, it says, so let him give is in italicies, which means that so let him give was not, um, is a way to translate the Greek into English so that it makes sense. Whenever you see italicies in your Bible, it's not emphasis, meaning that that particular word or that particular set of words is more important than any other part. It just means that the English translators had to add that, those words into the text um, in order for it to make sense in translating it from uh, to, to Greek or Latin over into to English. Okay, So what it says here, if we were to go back and, and read the, um, you know, the, the Greek, the original Greek text, in essence what it's saying here is that give up ownership or give up rights of ownership is really what uh, the intent here is that as a man purposeth in his heart, he is to relinquish ownership or give ownership back to back to God. Let him give not grudgingly or of necessity for God loveth a chauffeur giver. So I give grudgingly when I think I'm not getting an equivalent amount in return. Here's what I mean. I give grudgingly to the government in the form of taxes. Why? Because I don't feel that the government gives me what I'm giving back to them in equal amount. Right? So I'm giving the government some taxes. I don't see the value of that money coming back to me personally. Right? So I do it grudgingly. I also give it of necessity, right? Because that's money I could be using for something else of value, like taking care of my family or self-preservation. But what the scripture says is that we need to give not grudge or necessity for God loveth the children giver. Now let's go to Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. So as it was, is you know, continuing along with this communal spirit. Um, in the by the time we get to the fifth chapter of the book of Acts, it says, "But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira's, Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, which was, you know, un, on earthly terms, under their." Control. They owned that land. And so they sold it. But it says in verse number 2 that they held back. Um, it says they kept back part of the price. 
Now, it, you remember what I just said about italicies. It's not saying that part in the second verse is, uh, is something we need to emphasize. It just means that in order to make the glue work, they had to put in the word part. So some portion of the cell of the house they kept, or the, uh, of the possession they kept back. His wife also being privy, privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, well, one may make the argument, well, wasn't that theirs to do as they please? Didn't they own it? If they didn't want to give 100% of the proceeds, why did, why did Peter, you know, say, why does Satan fill your heart? Right? If it was under their ownership, they could do what they want. I could have sold it for a million dollars and given, you know, five dollars. Because it's mine. But as the scripture says, again in verse number two, they kept back part of it. Secretly. And privy, um, privy to it, um, I'm sorry, the uh, nurse is blowing up my phone here. Um, so there was a secret pact, and that's that's the thing. It says they they purposed in their heart to only give a certain amount, obviously, because Ananias and Sapphira had made an agreement previous to. In verse number three, <clears throat> what does it say? But Peter said, Ananias, why had Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. So, just to give you some context to this, in Acts chapter 4, and uh, um, Brother Marzette, can you read Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 31? <clears throat> And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they, but they had all things common. And a, great, and a great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was upon them all. Neither there, neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and the distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Okay, continue to go. Continue to read. And Hoseas, who by the apostles' surname Barnabas, which is interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
So why don't we have a record of um, Barnabas? Why don't we have a record of Peter admonishing Barnabas in the scripture? I mean, he had a land, he sold it, he laid it at the apostles' feet, and it turns out that everybody was doing that. Everybody had a communal spirit. Everybody um, was selling, um, selling what they had. Um, It says, all things were common. Um, It says also in verse number 2, 32 rather, it says, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed. And it's interesting, my study Bible says, ought is none of them thought of anything that they had um, or thought anything that they had was their own, but was the input, was the possession of everybody. There was no such thing as, as ownership. Really communal spirit. Um, and we'll talk about how they got there. I mean, yes, it is um, unique. In this country, it's unique. There are plenty of other places on the planet Earth where people, where villages, um, large family units, you know, if I make some money, everybody makes money. If I kill a goat, everybody's eating. Um, you know, there are some even who take it to the extreme, you know, where there's no such thing as my wife or my husband. You know, they, they share, but that's an extreme. Uh, but in the context of what we see here in the first century of the Church of Christ, nobody thought that the things that they had was their own. Until we get to Ananias and Sapphira. What they did was, is they said, here's the money from the possession, right? I'm going to donate to the cause for some goodwill, right? But it's not all the money. I'm going to hold some of it back for me because it's mine. You didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. It's mine. I'm keeping that money for myself. So they went into this situation faking the funk, giving with the mindset, or at least um, outwardly giving with the mindset that this is all that we sold this, this, this possession for. I'm giving it to the church um, so that everybody will have need of everything. Except that's not what they did. They didn't give without grudging and without necessity. They did quite the opposite. They gave grudgingly and with necessity. And because of that, God was not happy with their giving. He did not love their giving because they didn't give cheerfully. As a matter of fact, he hated their giving so much so that Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead that very same day. Because they had to own it. They had to own it. It had to be theirs. I'll give a little bit, but i got to hold on to something. I worked hard for it. I fought. And I've died. I've shed blood, sweated uh, uh, for, for this possession. It's mine. 
So ownership is is somewhat of a, a tough thing to overcome. So let's take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, where it talks about charity. Um, very good, very good word, um, very powerful word. Um, and I'll ask you to just think about what charity means to you. Well, charity, when we think of charity, that means I'm, I'm giving something for free to somebody else. And, and what I get in return is goodwill. Those feelings of goodwill. People see me be charitable. They think, you know what, Thomas is a, is a swell guy. He's somebody who cares about the common man and about his community. How many times have you seen a commercial for a business that says, we give to the American Red Cross or the uh, American Can uh, the Cancer Society uh, or to uh, PETA or the animal something or other, SP SPCA? Why do they advertise those things? Why is it important for me... For you to know what I do as far as my charitable deeds. The only reason why they do that is they are hoping to get goodwill in return. That when people make a choice of whether to spend money with this company or with your company, they choose your company because they think, you know what, these people are honorable, upstanding, righteous, uh, kind, compassionate people. Except... That is counter to what, or counter to how charity is defined here in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. So a couple of verses we're going to take a look at uh, here. It says uh, <clears throat> in verse number 3, it says, <clears throat> it says, uh, and though I bestow all my goods to the poor, Again, you know, if I'm doing good things, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. How is that possible that by showing charity, if I don't have charity, I'm not actually showing charity? Let me rephrase that. How is it that if I'm doing charitable acts, but don't have charity, that it's not going to be viewed as charity in God's eyes. It's almost as if charity is not really the act itself, but the intent of the heart. Just as giving as God has prospered you, is not that act of worship is not fulfilled just by simply putting money in the basket, but the intent behind putting the money in the basket. It's almost as if when Ananias and Sapphira, right, when they were uh, giving a portion of the sale of their possession at the apostles' feet, as all the others did before them, that it wasn't the act that caused them to be killed, but the intent of the heart that led to their demise. So when it says here in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter about charity, it says in verse number 4, Charity suffereth long, it is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Do not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in, in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. 
beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Does it sound like charity is a tangible thing? Meaning, I can, I can be uh, like it's a, a pound of sugar or a dollar bill or anything along those lines. Charity is very well described here in the 13th chapter as an intention of the heart, the spiritual heart, also known as your brain, your mind, which is the reason why 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and following says as that a man should give as he purposes in his, in his heart, his spiritual heart, which is his mind. Doesn't matter how much I give, doesn't matter what I'm giving up. What matters is the intention of the heart. And here, what I'm trying to get to here is that in order to truly be charitable, you have to give up ownership of the things that you have. Because technically, per the scripture, you don't own anything. God's just loaning it to you. He's giving it to you as a means to an end. end. What's the means to his end? To glorify God. To bring others to Christ. To use those means that you have in order to live faithfully until death. To provide for those who are in need. What is, why does the scripture say, pure religion and undefiled is this? To, to visit the widows and the fatherless in their affliction. Why does the scripture tell us, um, you know, that uh, uh, talk to us about widows and widows indeed versus widows who aren't indeed? All of those things center around our obligation as members of the body of Christ to give up ownership of everything that we have at the expense, or excuse me, not at the expense, but in order to be charitable. Not simply just the act of giving, but the intention of the spiritual heart and the mind. Yes. If you give and you don't do it charitably, then you just gave. It has no value in God's eyes. Amen. To that extent, let's go to the scripture reading in Luke, uh, the sixth chapter. And Brother Garner the third, can you read that for us, please? Uh, but I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Well, stop right there. How do we show love? We'll go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where it talks about charity or love. We have to be willing to give up our we have to be willing to give up ownership of the things that we have to the extent that we would freely give those to our enemies if they had need. That does not jive with capitalistic USA. And I'm not saying, I'm not, you know, I'm not speaking ill of our economic system or anything along those lines. All I'm saying is, is that we are less inclined to give, it's kind of like, uh, well, I don't want to get into politics, but what I'll say is, is this government does not give to other countries like Rwanda for humanitarian relief 
for nothing. We don't do it for nothing. Okay, well, you're saying, well, what does Rwanda have to give us in return? Rwanda doesn't have anything to give us in return, but what we are hoping to get in return is goodwill. So the next time we go over to another country and do something that's a little bit, maybe not kosher, maybe that's a little backhanded, maybe if we go into another country and, and really are unkind to the people there, that other countries will say, well, it's okay. Yeah. United States gave a billion dollars to the Rwandans. Let's kind of turn a, a blind eye to what they're doing over here. You know, we're hoping when the time comes that we can cash in on that goodwill in those moments where we're less than willing to do good. We don't do, there's no such thing as something for nothing. But to the Christian, that has to be a part of our mindset. We should give it, not grudgingly or of necessity, which means I'm not giving it with malintent or anger or anything along those lines. I'm giving it without the feeling of, ah, mm, I really don't want to give away what I hold dear, but it says that if we do so, it says that God loves a trophy giver. So in the context of loving your enemy, one of the, one of the I guess, hurdles to doing that is the word ownership. It's mine and not yours. It says, do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on one cheek, also offer the other. Interesting. Brother Porter and I have had a couple discussions about this. About turning the other cheek. Why is it hard to turn the other cheek? Because of ownership. You feel like that other cheek is yours. It's your body. It is my face. And I'm not going to give up this clear complexion, or I'm not going to give up the health and well-being of my body because I own it, except technically, in a spiritual sense, your body isn't your own either. What does the scripture tell us? Don't you know, and you can go back and read this in 1 Corinthians, it says, don't you know that you are, that your body is not your own, that you were purchased with a price? You don't own your body. So when the scripture, when Jesus says to turn the other cheek, what is he telling you? He's telling you that my father, which owns your body, is asking you with the thing that he owns, that if somebody smites you to that extent, you should be willing to give them the other side as an act of love and compassion. Because I own you. You don't own you. Your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. He can do whatever he wants to do with the things that he owns, including the flesh and bones that you call your body. So Jesus says again, And unto him that smiteth thee on one cheek, 
Offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid him not to take thy coat also. Do you need that? Obviously you do, right? Because you don't want to be cold. But you don't own that cloak and you don't own that coat. And what Jesus and God is telling you is that it is mine. And everything that I give to you is meant to be shared with others as the need arises. Because that is the greatest love. For no greater love can a man show than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. His friends have the need. He gives up his life in order to fulfill that need. So when Jesus says, the coat, if somebody takes your cloak, give the coat also. Because you don't own anything. It's under God's possession. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. Did you grasp that? Did you grasp that? The scripture says that my wife is to render unto me due benevolence. Why? Because I got to get something out of this relationship. Right? Can't be just a one way street. I can't just continue to show my wife love and she not show me any love. She needs to show me what's due me. I own it. Give it. And you know what Jesus is saying here? Even sinners grasp the concept of reciprocity of love. They grasp it. As you give, when somebody gives it back to you, all right, we, we're in a good relationship, right? Because each and every one of us has a net loss of zero. Whatever I give to you, I'm getting something back in return. But to the Christian, it means so much more than that. We are to love others with the expectation, even though we don't get anything in return. Even though they continue to take, 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 take. And I continue to give, 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 give. Love is not about reciprocity. It's not about return on investment. It's not about ownership. It's about all the things that we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because the love and charity seeketh not her own. Looks to the needs of others. And not to the needs of self. It says in verse number 34. <clears throat> of Luke chapter 6. And if you lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thanks do you have? I'll read that again. If I give it as a loan, expecting to get it back, why would I expect to hear a thank you? Right? I mean, if I'm giving it to you and I'm getting it back, have I really shown charity? I mean, is there a net loss? No. I'm giving it to you, and I'm, I know I'm going to get it back. 
It goes on to say, For sinners also lend to what? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. Again, it's all about ownership, right? It's mine. I'm going to just give it to you, but I want mine back. That's the essence of a loan, right? And that's, sinners do that all the time. But, in verse number 35, it says, But love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. So if you give, if you give up ownership for what you have, not expecting to ever get that ownership back, or if ownership is not of value to you so much so that you give, and okay, you need it, here, here you go. I'm, I'm not saying that flippantly, I'm saying that's a good mindset to have as it pertains to the scripture. It says, your reward shall be great, and he shall be, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Do you understand what that means in the context of turning the other cheek? If somebody smites me on one cheek, I am so merciful with that individual that I'm willing to turn the other cheek. And allow them to do it again. Because obviously there's a reason why they need to do it. I'm going to show them mercy by exposing myself by turning the other cheek. The only way we can get there is we have to give up these feelings of ownership. It's mine, 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 and not yours. And I, that's easy to say and hard to do. Because I work hard for mine. If you need $20 and I've only got $20 in my bank account and that $20 is needed for, for, for medicine to keep me alive or for food to keep my children alive, I don't know. That's mine. I'm not giving it. I'm sorry. I mean, doesn't the scripture tell me that a man who does not take care of his own is worse than an infidel? We can, we can use verses like that to justify ownership or justify not being charitable or justify simply being approved or not willing to share with others. I need this money to take care of my responsibilities. Well, when has, ever, when has God ever told us in His Word that... We, um, that he will not take care of us, or he will never take care of us. When has he ever told us in his word that if we give cheerfully to our brother as they have need, <coughs> that he's going to curse us by having little or not having enough to continue to do what we do? There's plenty of examples in the scripture that speaks to the fact that God is a loving kind, compassionate God. He knows how to take care of us. If you have a need, He'll fulfill that need. 
How much how much money do we have in our bank account? Brother Marzet. Just rough estimate. Check and receive. What's that? Check and receive. Uh total. About twenty five hundred dollars. Okay. So let's say I need twenty five hundred dollars. Like now. I have a need. And you could you could probably talk to me and 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 count uh, not talk to me, but you could probably examine my need and say, okay, is that a need? Is this really a need? I mean, is this a, a need or are you just saying you just need twenty five hundred dollars uh, to get some new clothes versus twenty five hundred dollars to get food? Right? What is the need? And we could we you could we could argue about well you know what, that need just isn't worth it. Or that need is not worth us giving you every penny that we have in our account. Why would we, why would we have an issue with that? Well, think about it for a second. Is my need worth the church, the congregation here, the quarter and fourth of people being, having no money in the bank account? What is this congregation getting in return? Are we lending it? Or are we giving it away? Whose money is it? Is it God's money? Is it my money? Is it the brethren's money? Well, I tell you what, if you give that money away to that brother for a need that I don't think is a need, I'm not giving my hard-earned cash in that, in that basket again. Because obviously you brothers don't know how to use that money wisely. The basis of all of that is we think that everything we have belongs to us. And so as I conclude this lesson, the scripture tells us something different. Yeah. It all belongs to God. Amen. And those possessions should be used for God's purpose and God's purpose alone. Yes. Any other reason is counter to that. So if you're here this morning and you've had an issue with, with ownership, um, if if there is something in your life that is uh, that is keeping you from being the charitable person, meaning charitable, charitable in heart and mind, um, you can ask God to give you the strength to overcome that. Um, I know we all work hard um, for the, excuse me, Asia almost said something counter to the lesson. Just because you work hard doesn't necessarily mean that you have more rights to the things that you have versus somebody else. It just means you work hard. Thumbs up, swell, great job, excellent work to work hard. I'm glad that God has given you the ability to work as hard as you have. It still belongs to God. Amen. So the lesson is yours. If you need to do so, please, before we stand and sing a song of invitation.